Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, great to see everyone. It's a little unusual to see you sitting the way you are. Um, but that's for, for lunch later, so glad that you're here. Hopefully you'll stay. Um, we're in a series, I mean, we take a topic and we talk about it for several weeks. And the series we're in right now is David. He's a character in the Old Testament and uh, believed by many to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And today's topic is talking about how he's a great king. But tomorrow's Veterans Day, and we have some vets here, and we need to, to recognize them for their service. And, and service is kind of what we're going to talk about topic today. So if you're a vet, would you stand up or raise your hand and let us know. We want to thank you for your, thank you for your service. All right, look at all of them. All right, thank you. All right. So, the great King David. I want to start with a question this morning. We call him a great king. What makes, made him a great king? So, what makes a person great? What makes you think a person's great? Now, in sports terms, we use this term GOAT, right? Greatest of all time, and there's debate about who's the greatest basketball player, football player, whatever. But I was thinking more like uh, political power, like a king or president or something. So, in my mind, I know who the greatest president we ever had was, well, in my opinion. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, greatest president we ever had. And he was a humble man. He was a man of God. But he was president when our country was torn in half. Can you imagine being, being a president then? So why would I pick Abraham Lincoln to be the greatest president we ever had? What, 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 in your mind, what makes a person great? Now, why would I pick Abraham Lincoln to be the greatest president we ever had? What? What, what, in your mind, what makes a person great? Now, these type of folks have tremendous power. Uh, President of the United States and leaders of other countries or great uh, organizations or uh, businesses, etc. So they have this tremendous influence or power. And we see people use it for harm or for their own good. Uh, evil dictators sometimes, they just abuse, they have the power and they abuse people that under their control. On the other hand, somebody like, a, like Abraham Lincoln is just inspiring. Well, they use this power not for their own uh, good or own purpose, but for the good of others. And I think that's inspiring to us all. Now, if I was asked you, if you had the power, which would you would be, honestly, none of us really know, do we? We don't know what button we would push unless we had that kind of power. So we're going to look at a guy who lived about a thousand years before Jesus. His name was David. And when David shows up on the scene, Israel has its first king. His name's Saul. And at this point, quote unquote, God's fed up with him and says to the prophet Samuel, I want you to pick out another king. <laughs> I'm going to take you to Jesse's house and I'm not going to tell you ahead of time which son I'm, I want to be the next king. When you get there, I'll let you know. Well, what do you think Samuel's response? All right, they already have a king. Do you pick another king once you already have a king? And if you're in the process of picking one, is the king going to be happy? So he, he, Samuel's response is, this, this, I could get killed for this. But he does what God wants him to do. He shows up at, at uh, Jesse's house. And we're going to pick the story up there. We're going to jump around if you want to use your, uh, the screen or if you've got a Bible app or whatever to follow along. Uh, 
So they arrived. Samuel took one of, look at Eliab and thought, he's the oldest son. Logical choice, right? Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, not so quick. <laughs> Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him, not as a person, but as this, the next king. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. This is huge. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see things. People judge by outward appearance. That's natural. It's normal, right? I meet you for the first time. I begin to make a judgment about you. Uh, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, he can see the heart. I can't necessarily see the heart. But God knows, and as we get to know a person, hopefully we judge them not by appearance, but by their heart or their character. Probably character's a better word. So you ladies, they're looking for a, for a guy. What makes a man is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. And guys, when you're looking for a gal, well, I tell you, look on the inside, but you wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> guys are dumb. But anyway, uh, hopefully... <laughs> You're wise enough to look at the inside, the character. Now, it doesn't hurt if, you know, appearances is, is, is pleasing also. So, rejects number one. But the story goes on. The same way all seven of son, Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. No, it's not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. The Lord's not chosen any of these. So, Samuel's starting to scratch his head. Jesse. So you show me your sons, you show me all your sons. God says it's not one of those. So he asked, are all, these all your sons you have? Well, um, yeah, there's this youngest one. <laughs> uh, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. And Samuel said, send for him at once. And we're not even going to sit down to eat till he arrives. I don't know how long it took and how far away he was. <clears throat> so Jesse sent for him. Uh, it's interesting that they give his personal appearance, outward appearance, in the description. He was handsome, dark and handsome, had beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. Now, the best way can tell from the story, Samuel's on this kind of secret mission, and he doesn't say anoint to him for what? So we don't know if he did or didn't. I think the assumption is he didn't. <laughs> You know, all he knew was God's prophet anointed him so he was going to be something special, whatever that means. God's got something special in mind for you. And as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, the next couple, seven years, a year and a half or so later, he kills Goliath. He's famous. He has other military victories. He becomes the son-in-law to the king. Uh, so life is good. Things are going great. And then about the age 22, the king turns against him. Saul does. And he's running for his life. And what I want to look at is probably the main lesson, I believe, that David learned more in those seven or eight years running for his life than he did in those seven or eight years when things were going good. And here's how I'm going to summarize it. Here's the lesson that, that David learned and, and you and I need to learn. is not about me. In this selfie world that we live in, right? <laughs> it's so easy to be, it's about me. But no, 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 it's not about me. And here's what it should be about. God's will, God's way, and God's time. Now these three things are significant, especially as we look at these next two stories quickly. Bible 
It's got so much detail about David. It's fascinating. So David's on the run. And uh, he's in the desert of Engedi. We had the privilege of being there. Uh, it's a desert, just like you think. Uh, nothing green around except for an Engedi actually is an oasis. And there's cliffs and all kinds of caves in the cliffs. And so we're going to see that David actually has opportunity twice, not just once, twice to kill Saul. Saul's not king anymore. Guess what? It's his chance, right? We would think that's certainly what he would do, but that's not what he does. So in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we pick up the story. Saul and his army is chasing him. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Interesting detail. <laughs> but as it has happened, middle, middle school humor, right? But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in the very cave. Now, when you go into a cave, you can't see in front, but if you turn around, the light's coming this way, you can see. So Saul can't see David, but David can see Saul. Now David's men whisper him, now, you have, this is your opportunity. The Lord is telling you, I'll certainly put your enemy into your power. He's right there in front of you to do with what as you wish. So David creeps forward and it's, does this interesting thing. He cuts off a piece of his hem of Saul's robe. He doesn't harm him, uh, but that's what he does. But immediately the story goes on this way, that David's conscience began to <laughs> bother him. Not because he had harmed him, just because he had cut off part of Saul's robe. Continues, and he said to this man, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Saul has anointed king. He was still king. He was still God's anointed. So David was not about to mess with that. That's the next verse, guys. <clears throat> so Saul goes, goes free. He gets down, back to his soldiers, and David gets to the, for some reason, gets out to the mouth of the cave and says, Hey, Saul, guess what? <laughs> I could have just taken your life. So people are lying to you. I'm not against you. And then we'll just read one verse. It says this. And he says this. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I'll never harm you. So you're trying to kill me, but I'm not going to, we talked about this last week, return evil for evil. I'm not going to harm you, even though I had the chance. And then some time, uh, time goes on. And David does this really weird stuff. This is just a weird story. This is one reason I believe the Bible's true. Why would you put these kind of stories in there? Going to leave yourself in a cave, whatever. Um, they're in this valley. Uh, uh, David's on a ridge, and this, the Saul and his 300 men, 3,000 men are in the, in the valley. And how they, what they did at night is the king would sleep in the middle, and the 3,000 men would surround him. And you would think they'd have guards. Well, David gets this idea, crazy idea, and he asks, anybody want to go with me? <laughs> Let's sneak in and take a look at Saul, 3,000 men at night. So this guy, Abishai, says, hey, I'll go with you. <laughs> so they go into the camp, they find him asleep, his spear stuck in the ground beside his head, and Abner, who's the general, and his soldiers are lying asleep around him. So, okay, everybody's asleep. 
They've gone all the way into the middle of the 3,000 men, right to the, where the king is sleeping, and they would keep their, sword, uh, their spear there. So, pretty handy, right? And so Abishai says this. God, again, God surely handed him over to you this time. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear and it won't need to strike twice. I can just go, bam, and it's over. You're king. So I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good plan, right? But not for David. No, David says, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Now God's anointed me in and, and God's time and God's way and, and God's will, I will be. But I'm not innocent if I rush this, if I violate the will of God to seemingly receive the promise of God. This is what God had promised him. Uh, another story in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> Abraham, God promised him a son by his wife. His wife was too old to have a child. So to fulfill the promise, he violated the will of God or the timing of God and had some other children. And eventually uh, he had uh, the promise some with his wife. So it's easy for us to want to do things our way and our time. But David, you know, the patience, the patience. Years running for his life, two opportunities to kind of end that, to change that, and he didn't do that. And then he kind of has a little bit of weird fun. He takes the spear and a water jug, goes up on the ridge, and then he yells out, Hey, Saul, or Abner, <laughs> wake up. I, guess what? I was just there. I could have killed your king. You're not a very good guard, not a good bodyguard. Uh, you can read the story for yourself in that chapter. So here's kind of conclusion. David refused to replace what God had put in place. Twice. He could have done that. But it wasn't God's will, God's way, God's timing. So after this, Saul and his son Jonathan, David's best friend, get killed by the Philistines. So you think, okay, David's going to be king now. Well, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 <laughs> tribes of Israel, uh, makes David king. The 11 tribes make Ishbosheth, a son of Saul, the king. And this goes on for years. And gradually David becomes more po uh, powerful and, and Ishbosheth uh, less. But then one day, these two guys get this bright idea. We'll take things into our own hands. We'll kill the Ishbosheth, and then David can become king. So we pick up that story. It's Rechab and Benah. The Lord, oh, they bring the head of Ishbosheth to David. So here's proof. That's why they brought heads for proof. They didn't have cell phones, pictures, you know. You want, you know, he's dead. Here's the head. This is, this is proof. Uh, the Lord who saves, and this is his response to this guy's bringing him his head to him. The Lord who saves me from all my enemies is my witness. Someone once told me Saul is dead. He didn't kill Saul. He just brought the head of Saul to David thinking he was bringing me good news. <clears throat> but I seized him and killed him. And this was it, Ziglag. That's the reward I gave him for his news. That was just for the news. So how much more should I reward 
evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed, shouldn't I hold response for this blood and rid the earth of you? And so, that's the next verse, guys. Uh, then he has these two men killed, and he actually gives proper burial to Ishbosheth. So now there's no, nobody else to be king. And so we pick up the story. Then all the tribes of Israel, all 12, not just one, went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your flesh and blood, and they're all Israelites. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the force of Israel. He was the military, uh, won the military battles. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd. Notice this word. He was a really good shepherd earlier on, right? He protected the sheep. Now he's going to shepherd my people, Israel. You will be Israel's leader, shepherd leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant. That's an agreement or contract. Notice before the Lord. So we would consider David a great man at this point. And again, probably the greatest king. But he makes a covenant with the people. He could have gotten revenge against these other 11 tribes that that didn't make him king earlier. He could do whatever he wants. He's all powerful now. But he makes a covenant. Now here's the key. It's before the Lord. He said, I'm I'm a king, but I'm not the king. I'm not the boss. God is. And so it's been 15, 16 years since he was anointed to now he becomes king of Israel. Inspiring story. Inspiring example to us. But as we're going to see, inspiring is not enough. And if you're not a Jesus follower, hopefully it inspires you. But if Jesus follows, inspiring is not enough. And then at 30, he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. And a thousand years later, Jesus comes along. And he models this character quality for us, and then ups it a notch, like Jesus often did. It's the last night of his life here on earth. And they're celebrating their most famous or popular ceremony in, in Judaism, which is Passover. And notice how John writes the account here. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He knew he was about to die. Not only did he know he was about to die, he knew he was about to die a cruel and painful death. He said, I know the father has given him authority over everything that he had now come from the God and returned to God. Now, got to get this in, in your mind. Jesus is God. God is all powerful. So Jesus is what? All-powerful, all right? He's facing torture and death. Now, you and I, if we're facing torture and death and we're all-powerful, what are we going to do? And ain't no way I'm going to do that. No way I'm going through that. See, Jesus was anointed by God as the Messiah, our Savior. But he wasn't recognized that way. They killed him. David was originally anointed a king, and for 15, 16 years, wasn't recognized. But then the story takes this, the account takes this weird turn. And it shows us the character of Jesus and should be the character of us. Got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, Then he began to wash the disciples' 
feet. Let that sink in a minute. Imagine being there. Jesus came in here. Everybody take your shoes off. I want to wash your feet. Be almost horrifying, wouldn't it? And Peter, if you read the account, Peter said, no, 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 you can't do that for me. And Jesus said, well, either that or you're out of here. And then Peter says, okay, <laughs> wash my whole body. I, Jesus, the Son of God, washing my feet? How could I be? So this is on your outline. It's not enough for us just to be inspired by David or inspired by Jesus. This kind of great is required if you're a Jesus follower. It's required. No options. And we'll read some more of the account. Jesus just drives this point home. He says, and since I, your Lord, Lord means boss, okay? I'm the king, I'm the boss, I'm the Lord, I'm the, the general, whatever. You folks served in the military, whatever, superior officer. And teacher, I've washed your feet. You saw, you, you just participated. You ought to or you must wash each other's feet. I've given you example to follow. We say it every week, following Jesus. Following Jesus means following his example. Do as I've done to you. And the next, next phrase is this, now that you know these things. So you might have been innocent before. So nobody in here is innocent now, right? Unless you plugged your ears up. Now you know. God will bless you, not for being inspired by me, but by doing what? By doing what I have done. So, perhaps the greatest reflection of maturity, character, a person of character, is what we do when we have authority, power, or influence. Now you might think, oh, I don't have, you know, well, most of us do in some arena. Parents, we got lots of parents here. <laughs> You're boss of your kids. Maybe it doesn't feel like it sometimes. <laughs> but you're boss. You have the power and authority over your kids. Maybe you're in a workplace where you, you supervise other people. Maybe it's in some kind of uh, uh, civic organization. You have a, a position of authority. Uh, in a church. Uh, political power. Whatever it might be. Almost all of us in some realm have authority, power, or influence. So here's the challenge. I'll give you this this week. I like to give assignments out or whatever. What do you do when it dawns on you? And I've just shared, hopefully it dawns on you, that you have power and influence somewhere. When you're the most, another way of saying, the most powerful person in the room. Parents are more powerful than their kids. Bosses are more powerful than their, their employees, etc. And then probably one of my favorite verses in Scripture is John, I mean Mark 10. Uh, these are the words of Jesus that Mark has recorded for us. The Son of Man, me, Jesus, came not to be served, but you're God. Now, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that. 
I mean, it's, it would be even greater than like the president coming in here and saying, oh, guy, hey, guys, I'm here to wash your feet. We can't comprehend that, can we? But that wasn't it. That wasn't all. I not only come here to serve you, I come here to die for you. The ultimate sacrifice. So, when you're the most powerful person in the room, you should. Jesus followers, you must. Leverage that power for the benefit of others. And last thing, I like to imagine things. Imagine if all of us lived that way. That kind of selflessness. Not about me, it's about you. Not about me, it's about God's will, God's way, and God's timing. It changed the world once. You read the book of Acts, the early church. It's recorded that it turned the world upside down. Church isn't turning the world upside down today, is it? But it can, it could, if we did what? We served like Jesus served. And I gave you some readings this week. You want to kind of fill in the story that we told? Got one more week with, uh, with David. And... Uh, We'll go on to our next topic. Hopefully you can join us as we wrap David up next week. We'll have a prayer, we'll have a song, and then uh, hopefully most of you will stay and we'll have lunch together. Father God, thank you. I thank you so much for first David's example. He was a flawed person like all of us, so that should inspire us <laughs> that he achieved greatness but not greatness in the normal thinking. I did become king, but it wasn't that great. It was his ability to realize that he wasn't the boss, but you are God, and not take things in his own hands and do things in your way, your timing, your will. What a lesson, instruction to us. But even more so, Jesus, your son, came to earth not to serve, be served, to serve us? Not only to serve us, but to die for us. We call that grace amazing that he would do that. So God, we don't want to pray for anyone here maybe never understood that or maybe never came to a place where they would make that decision to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in with like David. <laughs> I want it's not about me, God. It's about you and Jesus. And I want your will done your way and your timing. And today is the time I, I choose to accept that gift, be, my sins be forgiven, to have a personal relationship with God and eventually spend eternity with him. I receive that gift. I accept that gift just now. And then you're part of his family. You're one of his children. God, I know a lot of these folks, I know most of them are already Jesus followers. And as we're going to look in a few minutes at what you've done through our church this past year, I don't think it's by coincidence we talked about service today. I think this has been our greatest year, 29 years that I've been here, greatest year of service. All because of you, Jesus. Thank you. We're going to celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.